Good evening, listeners, and welcome to the second episode of Horror Month, produced by Shakespeare Sound Company. Grab your favorite stuffed animal and prepare to be terrified as we hear the readings of H.P. Lovecraft and Edgar Allan Poe. Our journey tonight will begin with the reading of The Beast in the Cave, read by Samantha McHugh, written by H.P. Lovecraft. It will end with the reading of The Haunted Palace, read by Lindsay O'Neill, written by Edgar Allan Poe. Before we leave you to our readers' devices, it is imperative you know Horror Month is not only a tribute to a delightfully scary genre, but also a chance to raise funding for Shakespeare Sound Company. More information will be found at the end of this episode. Without further ado, I am pleased to present our first tale. horrible conclusion which had been gradually obtruding itself upon my confused and reluctant mind was now an awful certainty. I was lost, completely, hopelessly lost, in the vast and labyrinthine recesses of the Mammoth Cave. Turn as I might, in no direction could my straining vision seize on any object capable of serving as a guidepost to set me on the outward path. That nevermore should I behold the blessed light of day or scan the pleasant hills and dales of the beautiful world outside. My reason could no longer entertain the slightest unbelief. Hope had departed. Yet, indoctrinated as I was by a life of philosophical study, I derived no small measure of satisfaction from my unimpassioned demeanor. For although I had frequently read of the wild frenzies into which were thrown the victims of similar situations, I experienced none of these, but stood quiet as soon as I clearly realized the loss of my bearings. Nor did the thought that I had probably wandered beyond the utmost limits of an ordinary search cause me to abandon my composure, even for a moment. If I must die, I reflected, then was this terrible yet majestic cavern as welcome a sepulcher as that which any churchyard might afford, a conception which carried with it more of tranquility than of despair. Starving would prove my ultimate fate. Of this I was certain. Some, I knew, had gone mad under circumstances such as these, but I felt that this end would not be mine. My disaster was the result of no fault save my own, since unbeknown to the guide I had separated myself from the regular party of sightseers, and, wandering for over an hour in forbidden avenues of the cave, had found myself unable to retrace the devious windings which I had pursued since forsaking my companions. Already my torch had begun to expire. Soon I would be enveloped by the total and almost palpable blackness of the bowels of the earth. As I stood in the waning, unsteady light, I idly wondered over the exact circumstances of my coming end. I remembered the accounts which I had heard of the colony of consumptives who, taking their residence in this gigantic grotto to find health, 
from the apparently salubrious air of the underground world. With its steady, uniform temperature, pure air, and peaceful quiet had found, instead, death in strange and ghastly form. I had seen the sad remains of their ill-made cottages as I passed them by with the party, and had wondered what unnatural influence a long sojourn in this immense and silent cavern would exert upon one as healthy and as vigorous as I. Now, I grimly told myself, my opportunity for settling this point had arrived, provided that want of food should not bring me too speedy a departure from this life. As the last fitful rays of my torch faded into obscurity, I resolved to leave no stone unturned, no possible means of escape neglected. So summoning all the powers possessed by my lungs, I set up a series of loud shoutings in the vain hope of attracting the attention of the guide by my clamor. Yet, as I called, I believed in my heart that my cries were to no purpose, and that my voice, magnified and reflected by the numberless ramparts of the black maze about me, fell upon no ears save my own. All at once, however, my attention was fixed with a start, as I fancied that I heard the sound of soft, approaching steps on the rocky floor of the cavern. Was my deliverance about to be accomplished so soon? Had, then, all my horrible apprehensions been for naught? And was the guide, having marked my unwarranted absence from the party, following my course and seeking me out in this limestone labyrinth? Whilst these joyful queries arose in my brain, I was on the point of renewing my cries, in order that my discovery might come the sooner, when in an instant my delight was turned to horror as I listened. For my ever-acute ear, now sharpened an even greater degree by the complete silence of the cave, bore to my benumbed understanding the unexpected and dreadful knowledge that these footfalls were not like those of any mortal man. In the unearthly stillness of this subterranean region, the tread of the booted guide would have sounded like a series of sharp and incisive blows. These impacts were soft and stealthy, as of the padded paws of some feline. Besides, at times, when I listened carefully, I seemed to trace the falls of four instead of two feet. I was now convinced that I had by my cries aroused and attracted some wild beast, perhaps a mountain lion which had accidentally strayed within the cave. Perhaps, I considered. The Almighty had chosen for me a swifter and more merciful death than that of hunger. Yet the instinct of self-preservation, never wholly dormant, was stirred in my breast, and though escape from the oncoming peril might but spare me for a sterner and more lingering end, I determined nevertheless to part with my life at as high a price as I could command. Strange as it may seem, my mind conceived of no intent on the part of the visitor save that of hostility. Accordingly, I became very quiet, in the hope that the unknown beast would, in the absence of a guiding sound, lose its direction, as had I, and thus pass me by. But this hope was not destined for realization, for the strange footfalls steadily advanced, the animal evidently having obtained my scent which in an atmosphere so absolutely free from all distracting influences as is that of the cave, 
but doubtless be followed at great distance. Seeing, therefore, that I must be armed for defense against an uncanny and unseen attack in the dark, I grouped about me the largest of the fragments of rock, which were strewn upon all parts of the floor of the cavern in the vicinity, and grasping one in each hand for immediate use, awaited with resignation the inevitable result. Meanwhile, the hideous pattering of the paws drew near. Certainly, the conduct of the creature was exceedingly strange. Most of the time, the tread seemed to be that of a quadruped, walking with a singular lack of unison betwixt hind and four feet. Yet at brief and infrequent intervals, I fancied that, but two feet were engaged in the process of locomotion. I wondered what species of animal was to confront me. It must, I thought, be some unfortunate beast who had paid for its curiosity to investigate one of the entrances of the fearful grotto with a lifelong confinement in its interminable recesses. It doubtless obtained as food the eyeless fish, bats, and rats of the cave, as well as some of the ordinary fish that are wafted in at every freshet of Green River, which communicates in some occult manner with the waters of the cave. I occupied my terrible vigil with grotesque conjectures of what alterations cave life might have wrought in the physical structure of the beast, remembering the awful appearances ascribed by local tradition to the consumptives who had died after long residence in the cavern. Then I remembered with a start that even should I succeed in killing my antagonist, I should never behold its form as my torch had long since been extinct, and I was entirely unprovided with matches. The tension on my brain now became frightful. My disordered fancy conjured up hideous and fearsome shapes from the sinister darkness that surrounded me, and that actually seemed to press upon my body. Nearer. Nearer. The dreadful footfalls approached. It seemed that I must give vent to a piercing scream, yet had I been sufficiently irresolute to attempt such a thing, my voice could scarce have responded. I was petrified, rooted to the spot. I doubted if my right arm would allow me to hurl its missile at the oncoming thing when the crucial moment should arrive. Now the steady pat, pat of the steps was close at hand. Now very close. I could hear the labored breathing of the animal, and terror-struck as I was, I realized that it must have come from a considerable distance, and it was correspondingly fatigued. Suddenly, the spell broke. My right hand, guided by my ever-trustworthy sense of hearing, threw with full force the sharp, angled bit of limestone which it contained, toward that point in the darkness from which emanated the breathing and pattering and, wonderful to relate, it nearly reached its goal, for I heard the thing jump, landing at a distance away where it seemed to pause. Having readjusted my aim, I discharged my second missile, this time most effectively, for with a flood of joy I listened as the creature fell in what sounded like a complete collapse, and evidently remained prone and unmoving. Almost overpowered by the great relief which rushed over me, I reeled back against the wall. The breathing continued in heavy, gasping inhalations and expirations. Once I realized that I had no more than wounded the creature, 
and now all desire to examine the thing ceased. At last, something allied to groundless, superstitious fear had entered my brain, and I did not approach the body, nor did I continue to cast stones at it in order to complete the extinction of its life. Instead, I ran at full speed in what was, as nearly as I could estimate in my frenzied condition, the direction from which I had come. Suddenly, I heard a sound, or rather, a regular succession of sounds. In another instant, they had resolved themselves into a series of sharp, metallic clicks. This time, there was no doubt. It was the guide! And then I shouted, yelled, screamed, even shrieked with joy as I beheld in the vaulted arches above the faint and glimmering effulgence which I knew to be the reflected light of an approaching torch. I ran to meet the flare, and before I could completely understand what had occurred, was lying upon the ground at the feet of the guide, embracing his boots and gibbering, despite my boasted reserve, in a most meaningless and idiotic manner, pouring out my terrible story and at the same time overwhelming my auditor with protestations of gratitude. At length, I awoke to something like my normal consciousness. The guide had noted my absence upon the arrival of the party at the entrance of the cave, and had, from his own intuitive sense of direction, proceeded to make a thorough canvas of the by-passages just ahead of where he had last spoken to me, locating my whereabouts after a quest of about four hours. By the time he had related this to me, I, emboldened by his torch and his company, began to reflect upon the strange beast which I had wounded but a short distance back in the darkness, and suggested that we ascertain, by the rushlight's aid, what manner of creature was my victim. Accordingly, I retraced my steps, this time with the courage born of companionship, to the scene of my terrible experience. Soon we descried a white object upon the floor, an object whiter even than the gleaming limestone itself, Cautiously advancing, we gave vent to a simultaneous ejaculation of wonderment, for of all the unnatural monsters either of us had in our lifetimes beheld, this was in surpassing degree the strangest. It appeared to be an anthropoid ape of large proportions, escaped, perhaps, from some itinerant menagerie. Its hair was snow-white a thing due no doubt to the bleaching action of a long existence within the inky confines of the cave. But it was also surprisingly thin, being indeed largely absent save on the head, where it was of such length and abundance that it fell over the shoulders in considerable profusion. The face was turned away from us as the creature lay almost directly upon it. The inclination of the limbs was very singular, explaining, however, the alternation in their use which I had before noted, whereby the beast used sometimes all four, and on other occasions but two, for its progress. From the tips of the fingers or toes, long nail-like claws extended. The hands or feet were not prehensile, a fact that I ascribed to that long residence in the cave which, as I before mentioned, seemed evident from the all-pervading and almost unearthly whiteness so characteristic of the whole anatomy. No tail seemed to be present. The respiration had now grown very feeble, 
and the guide had drawn his pistol with the evident intent of dispatching the creature, when a sudden sound emitted by the ladder caused the weapon to fall unused. The sound was of a nature difficult to describe. It was not like the normal note of any known species of simian, and I wondered if this unnatural quality were not the result of a long-continued and complete silence, broken by the sensations produced by the advent of the light, a thing which the beast could not have seen since its first entrance into the cave. The sound which I might feebly attempt to classify as a kind of deep-toned chattering was faintly continued. All at once, a fleeting spasm of energy seemed to pass through the frame of the beast. The paws went through a convulsive motion, and the limbs contracted. With a jerk, the white body rolled over so that its face was turned in our direction. For a moment, I was so struck with horror at the eyes thus revealed that I noted nothing else. They were black, those eyes. Deep, jetty black, in hideous contrast to the snow-white hair and flesh. Like those of other cave denizens, they were deeply sunken in their orbits, and were entirely destitute of iris. As I looked more closely, I saw that they were set in a face less prognathous than that of the average ape, and infinitely more hairy. The nose was quite distinct. As we gazed upon the uncanny sight presented to our vision, the thick lips opened and several sounds issued from them, after which the thing relaxed in death. The guide clutched my coat sleeve and trembled so violently that the light shook fitfully, casting weird, moving shadows on the walls about us. I made no motion, but stood rigidly still, my horrified eyes fixed upon the floor ahead. Then fear left, and wonder, awe, compassion, and reverence succeeded in its place, for the sounds uttered by that stricken figure that lay stretched out on the limestone had told us the awesome truth. The creature I had killed, the strange beast of the unfathomed cave was, or had at one time been, a man! <laughs> of our valleys by good angels tenanted, once a fair and stately palace, radiant palace, reared its head. In the monarch thought's dominion it stood there. Never seraph spread a pinion over fabric half so fair. Banners yellow, glorious, golden on its roof did float and flow. This, all this, was in the olden time long ago. And every gentle air that dallied in that sweet day along the ramparts plumed and pallid a winged odor went away. 
Wanderers in that happy valley, through two luminous windows, saw spirits moving musically to a lute's well-tuned law round about a throne where, sitting porphyrogene in state, his glory well-befitting, the ruler of the realm was seen. And all with pearl and ruby glowing was the fair palace door through which came flowing, 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 and sparkling evermore a troop of echoes whose sweet duty was but to sing in voices of surpassing beauty the wit and wisdom of their king. But evil things, in robes of sorrow, assailed the monarch's high estate. Ah, let us mourn! For never sorrow shall dawn upon him, desolate. And round about his home the glory that blushed and bloomed is but a dim remembered story of the old time entombed. And travelers, now within that valley, through the red-litten windows see vast forms that move fantastically to a discordant melody, while, like a ghastly, rapid river through the pale door, a hideous throng rush out forever and laugh, <laughs> but smile no more. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in to our second and final episode of Horror Month. You have just listened to The Beast in the Cave by H.P. Lovecraft. This story was found in The Complete Fiction of H.P. Lovecraft, published in 2016 by Corto Publishing Group USA. You have also just listened to The Haunted Palace by Edgar Allan Poe. This story was found in Fall River Press's 2006 edition of Edgar Allan Poe Complete Tales and Poems, published in conglomeration with Barnes & Noble. As stated earlier, Horror Month serves as Shakespeare Sound Company's first official fundraiser. We are a developing multimedia theater company with a focus in classical works presented through radio drama. It is our goal to educate, inspire, and convict our audiences as well as to embrace, support, and showcase our actors. Please consider donating to the establishment of our little but fierce company. Information for how to donate can be found on our Facebook at Shakespeare Sound Company, our Instagram at ShakeSoundCo, and our website at shakesoundco.wixsite.com. Thank you again for listening. We appreciate your continued support.